Hello America and welcome to the story of America. And I'm following the theme this month, uh, February, Black History Month, all all month long, okay? And I'm a couple of weeks behind and and uploading some of these videos, uh, well, not videos, but audio for the podcast. And I was supposed to have done uh, weeks ago, and I've got... I got five episodes recorded that's just waiting for me to upload them and I just haven't done it so I'm going to be you know you're going to see a bunch of episodes come up pretty soon so in order to save me a lot of time writing you know an episode a day and I can I can very well do that all the research that's required to write an episode I can write an episode a day no problem but in order to save me some time so what I have here is I've got a filing cabinet full of writings that I've written from years ago all on things that affect black America and since this is Black History Month to save me some time I'm gonna go over all of those things that way I can write other episodes and be ready for for uh, for April and March and the rest of the year and just continue to continue going on with the story so this episode is not going to be one of my scripted episodes. Not one. Not going to be one of my story episodes. And you, you can probably tell that by the structure of how we start off here. Because normally I start off and we go in there, we have a really elaborate story, and we go down through the whole thing, and we're very motivational, trying to get people to understand, listen to things. But this one's going to be a heart to heart with Black America, and we're going to talk about at. Uh, good length. I, I, you know, I don't even think this was going to be too long an episode. The last couple episodes haven't been too long because uh, I have been so tired from work that I recorded an episode. It was an hour, forty-five minutes, almost two hours long, all on intergenerational wealth within the black community and what I like to call the intergenerational reset in the black community. And we're going to talk about that a lot. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm going to name this episode the intergenerational poverty in black America or should I say the intergenerational reset I'll figure out what I want to name the episode but it's going to be one of those two intergenerational poverty in black America or intergenerational reset of black America and as we continue to do this episode you'll you'll understand why but I've got you know I've got three four episodes that are already lined up I've got the myth of happiness I've got intergenerational wealth I've got how to be successful how to be encouraged I've got multiple different investing tips uh, to help you make a lot of money over the over the next course of a couple of years here and so what I'm doing for on today's episode is I'm just sitting taking a little time off from writing so much because each one of these episodes that I write is about 10 pages you know give or take 10 pages sometimes 7 pages and you know might go a little bit higher than that on some episodes so when you're writing as much as I write and I and you know, this is the reason why I hate Twitter so much I you know I cre- I created a Twitter account maybe 12 years ago and I have one post on it that I posted 12 years ago and I don't use Twitter because they tell me I can only type what 270 characters I think at the time that I created Twitter it was like 120 characters 180 characters and you know I'm from the south 
we have a long draw in the way that we speak and in the way that I type because I you know I'm class classically trained in literature and figurative and creative writing so the way that I talk and the way that I write 270 characters isn't enough for me to write a fucking sentence and I'm and because of that bleep I gotta you know I gotta label this episode as explicit so I might you know lose a little monetation yeah, I, I might just go back and cut the word out damn but I I can't write a sentence in 270 characters it's not possible you know a sentence from a sentence to me requires full punctuation it requires words written out all the way it needs to be grammatically correct I don't like using abbreviations unless I absolutely have to and really there's no point in using abbreviations ever unless you know unless you have to write a research paper and you've got to be within 500 words and or a certain length to, or a certain length of pages and then you know and, and to try to crop out some of those lengths you, you know you take do not and then contract it to don't I don't like contractions either I prefer, you know I might say I'll speak contractions but when I write I won't necessarily use contractions in my writing so you know I don't know where I was going with this point but I don't I don't particularly like to use Twitter I've never used it I created one created an account I have an account I don't use it I don't know how to use it I don't even know the password to get into it um, Google remembered it from 12 years ago when I created the account so the only way I can get into my Twitter account is through my Gmail or is to go through my Google Chrome which I don't use anymore because Google Chrome, you know, Google has shown itself not to be too friendly to people like me, so I decided to stop using their product best I can. Of course, when I search for stuff on my phone, because my phone is Android, you know, Google's all through the damn thing. And since my email is still Google, I'm still using Google in some form, but I'm not using their search engine anymore. I'm using the Bing search engine, which honestly sucks. I wish I, I wish I would go back to Google, but if I went back to Google, I'd be breaking my own, my own vow. So I use the Bing search engine now, but let's get let's get started with this episode. I, I don't want to uh, talk too much about crap that doesn't matter. So intergenerational wealth. We talked about this in the last episode. If you're watching my episodes or listening to my episodes in sequential order, then the last episode would have been titled "Intergenerational Wealth Within the Black Community," or really you could say intergenerational wealth within lower income communities or how to accumulate intergenerational wealth I talked a great deal about that and uh, all the different things and that one was a very in-depth episode really good episode and as soon as it's uploaded you'll be able to to watch it and listen to it and learn a little bit of things about what you can do today that can set your family up for a future to where you will never have to start from from uh from the goal uh, starting post anymore you'll always start where the last person left off you know if you're a religious person like me the the Bible says that you are to leave an inheritance for your grandchildren intergenerational wealth is that but what we have in the black community and really this is in low-income communities altogether but I don't talk to white people I've I mean, I have white friends. My best friend's white. But when I say I don't talk to white people, I mean I don't talk to white people in my writings. 
I talk to black people in my writings because I live in a black community. There's the pe they're the people that I care about the most as far as the community. I don't too much care about the individual people. I mean, I can, I can, give, I can give two shits about the individual people, but I care about the community because the community affects me. And it affects the the uh, the perception of me. It affects how much money I can make, and it affects how far I can advance. If my community's doing better, I'm doing better. If my community has a higher uh, net value, has a higher marketability, that means that the house that I that I intend to purchase will be worth a lot more money because the community that I live in is worth a lot more money. So it affects me. That's why I care so much about it. I don't too much, like I said, I don't too much care about what people do in their personal lives. That's not my concern. My concern is the community and the perception of black people in America as a whole. I could care less about whether or not little Johnny down the streets, you know, smoking cocaine or something like that. That's not my goal. My goal is not to try to change that. The people that should be changing that are the boy's parents and the people that live closest to him. My goal and my desire is to change the entire concept of the community as a whole so that we don't have to worry about uh, future little Johnnies ever again because the, con the community has been fully realized through intergenerational wealth and intergenerational success. So intergenerational poverty or the great reset button of black America or low, lower income communities if you want to take race out of it it's it's the idea you know we talked about philanthropy in the last time well this idea of the reset is the it, it is the complete reverse of philanthropy it's the idea of well this is what I had to do had to go through to get there so this is what you're gonna have to go through to get there you know I'm I'll use this as an example so Within my family, really fucked up family, they <laughs> and they'll probably mo moan and gripe at me when they re when they listen to this episode and realize that I've been talking about them. But the fact of the matter is, is is so within my family, we got a Tuskegee Airman uh, that lived in the family bloodline. So my uncle Eldridge Levy Sr. So he dies. Uh, I think it was 2012 and so he's got a really nice house really nice house good house it's right up the road uh, from where I grew up you know we all lived on the same street in the middle of the woods and it's a really nice house he's got really nice stuff in that house but rather than giving the house to one of the young folks that was coming up because at the time 2012 at the time of uh, of Uncle Levy's death um, at that time my cousins would have been graduating high school so at that time of his death they would have been graduating high school right time for them to have a house to, you know to have a place of their own well the place uh, that my Uncle Levy lived at it was right up the road it was the house was fully paid for you know, he had been living in it for a long, long time. Longer than I've been alive. That's how long the house has been there. Longer than I've been alive. I don't know when it was built. That's how long it's been there. So it's fully paid for. It's a really nice house. Got a nice fireplace. Got a big backyard. Got, you know, some pretty nice sized bedrooms. And he had really good furniture in there. And 
so rather than giving the house to the to the next generation to start them off because you know here, here, these are the facts the average homeowner in America regardless of whether you own a rinky-dink house or a multi-million dollar house the average homeowner that's the if you take all of the shit together and you compress it down and you get the number the mean the average number for the average house house owner homeowner in America is worth about two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars so if you start your kids off by giving them a house right out of high school because they had the opportunity to do that because Mr. Levy he died so you got a house to give your kids but rather than giving the house to your kids this is what they did the the, the white druggies down the road that moved in uh, we didn't have a we didn't have a drug problem in our neighborhood but until these white people moved down there now this isn't to say that white people are drug heads but these white folks moved down there you know they're the only white people that live in the community because it's the entire street is just family but they come down here and they're you know they strip all of the copper out of the house and they go and sell the copper so the house they completely stripped it of anything that can run electricity all of the copper's gone so instead of boarding off the house and you know refurbishing it and giving it to one of the kids so what what does family do when they find out the house has been robbed by these crackheads family decides to go down there and rob the house before the robbers can rob the house so what are they what is what do i mean by that so i have a very big pet peeve of buying stuff that you don't use see i i don't own a lot of stuff but i would consider myself to be a hoarder because I don't throw too much away but everything that I own I use every book on my bookshelf even though it's been a long time since I've read one of them because I've been buying new books every single book on my bookshelf I have read or I go back to especially my encyclopedias and my dictionaries I go back to to read over and if I don't read it I donate it to the church everything that I have I everything that I own I use to some capacity so I'm talking about people that are going into this little old home and they're absolutely looting it and ransacking it you know, my grandmother she went in there she took the fans the ceiling fans the house had three ceiling fans and she took all three of the ceiling fans out of the house took them down off, off the wall off the roof and took them home now those ceiling fans are sitting down at, at my grandmother's house in the attic or they're sitting in the guest room just sitting there on the floor you know he died like 12 years ago or well, not 12 years ago he died in 2012 so he died a, you know what seven years ago look you know some time ago and those ceiling fans which were just looted and taken out of the house are still just sitting there unused the the family wasn't there they took the toilet they took the sinks they took the refrigerator they took everything and they don't use any of it and I mean none of it so the house which was a really good house if you go inside the house right now the, the, the house has no doors on it 
the back door is left wide open. All of the, you know, there's animals that probably ran up in there. It's been, you know, plants have grown over it. Nobody's gone over there to, to you know, to trim the hedges and keep the place looking in nice order. So even if you could flip the house and make a profit and sell the house, the amount of work that you would have to do as a real estate mogul to try to flip this house is ridiculous. So my case in point is, it's number number one in intergenerational poverty is this right here, leaving nothing behind for our children. In the black community, we have that as a big problem. Number one, we don't have life insurance policies. We we don't believe in getting the life insurance policy for some reason. Uh, you know, we'll get a few. We'll get a funeral policy, or we'll wait until you know you're up in age, and then somebody in the family will take a life policy out on you. But the policy that they wind up getting is only worth about ten thousand because they're only getting burial insurance. You know, when so when you die. You still have to wind up paying the funeral company to bury your dumbass. Because family that's decided that it's not important enough to have that type of insurance and stuff set, set aside and set up to take care of you. When in reality, the concept behind life insurance, and I would know, I was a life insurance salesman for a little while. The concept behind life insurance has always been about income protection it's always been about ensuring that if something happened to you the people that you loved will be taken care of for a long time to come so what do I mean by that so right now very few black people have life insurance policies very few young black people particularly have life insurance policies you'll wait until you get old to, to try to go get a policy when if you bought a policy while you're in your 20s per se you can get a $500,000 policy in your 20s for $17 to get a $500,000 policy at 65 when you're getting ready to croak it's, it's gonna cost you about $500 a month difference is a difference in priority rather than setting aside and setting up something for the future that we're only focused on self and that's the problem with causing intergenerational poverty and constantly resetting our population we're not leaving a foundation that can be built upon we're tearing down the foundation that we built when we die we're tearing it down and forcing our kids to have to rebuild it all over again instead of leaving that instead of leaving a foundation and having them expand upon it we're taking the blueprints and we're shredding it and ripping it up and burning it so on on my next issue with this would be the idea I, I want I'm gonna see how to, what's the best way to phrase this. Hmm. I'll say it, I'll, I'll put I'll say it this way. The idea or or I uh, or vision 
that there's only one or two ways for a black person to escape poverty sports and the military three if you believe that drugs is the way to do it these things are completely asinine as I said in the last couple episodes limiting the vision and limiting the goals of young people particularly young black men limiting what they can accomplish by putting them in a bubble based off of what your stereotypical belief of what black people should and should not be able to accomplish is hindering the ability of the community as a whole to advance and compete with the other ethnicities that live within the country. The Asian population doesn't have this problem because the Asian population promotes an increase in lifestyle. So I'll use this as an example. The Asian community comes into America with less money than the average black person when they were freed from slavery. The, the average Jewish person came into this country during, 19, during the 1940s, during the Holocaust. They came into the country, they had nothing, they were discriminated against and kept from having anything because of the perceptions of Jews for a long, long time. But they continued and they persisted, they went and pursued education. And now black people are very upset with Jewish people because Jewish people have money and black people generally speaking do not and they're blaming that on a racial game when it's solely based off of the work and the amount of effort that the Jewish people and the Asian people decided to do in order to accomplish what they want for themselves and for their families so why is it then that we black people do not have the same goals you know I hate listening to the radio in the mornings because that retard Charlemagne the God has a has a radio show and he's he is always talking about white people on his show and I'm sitting here sometimes and I'll listen to it because sometimes I'll be riding the car and I'll listen to it and, I'll, and I'm sitting there listening to him here you are a black man a millionaire who has a radio show who can influence the, the, the mindsets of millions of black people across the country and you're only talking about how much you hate white people when you could take the millions of dollars that you have the millions of people that you reach every day and teach them how to create business teach them how to become entrepreneurs and if they can't be an entrepreneur teach them how to advance in a career teach them about ways to set up for the future so that they never go broke there are ways right now today regardless of the, of the amount of money that you have that you can invest in anything and when time comes for you to pull the money out you will never be able to go broke regardless of what happens to the market if you were able to do it right and people like Charlemagne the God people like Oprah Winfrey people like uh, like Robert Johnson they have the resources, the income, and the know-how to give this information to black people, but they don't. You have these massive networks. Oprah Winfrey has an entire TV network. And on her network, she never talks about how 
to build intergenerational wealth within our community. You know, I like Oprah, but Oprah Winfrey giving a, giving you a car isn't helping you. It's helping you in the short term because a car is a short term goal. If you don't know how to take care of it, you'll wind up blowing it in about a week, two weeks. But what Oprah Winfrey is neglecting to give is the network of information that she has that can set you up on a life that is far greater than anything that you have. You may not be able to get the car, you may not be able to go to college, but the information that she will give you will set you up onto a path to where you can never be broke. You can never be poor. Because you don't get to be worth $4.4 billion like Oprah and not know how to manage and keep money. There are people, for instance, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was a multi-billionaire. He was a great talent. But Michael Jackson had a child's mentality when it came to spending money. So, regard, so despite being multi-billionaire, Michael did not know how to keep and manage money. Oprah's completely, it's completely the opposite. She knows how to keep and manage money. And this is, this is why I said in the last episode, there's a difference between being wealthy and being rich. Okay? Wealthy people, here's the major difference. Wealthy people have money and time and don't have to worry about making money. Okay? Rich people only have time to make money. It's very important that you understand the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Wealthy people may not have the same amount of money as somebody that's rich, but a rich person will never have the amount of leisure time that a wealthy person has. Because a rich person always has to worry about where their next dollar is coming from. A wealthy person never has to because they will never run out of money. That's the difference between being wealthy and being rich. It's time. And what you can do with that time. Here in our communities, we're constantly resetting the bar for our generations and the generations that are coming up after us. What I mean by that is, is rather than passing along this information, we're dying with it. We're not leaving behind anything meaningful for our generations to do better. And we're constantly throwing more welfare at the problem. And here's the here's the real here's the real sad truth. Generations upon generations upon generations of slavery and Jim Crow laws, the most racist times of American history, segregation, did not destroy the black family. It did not destroy the black economy but one generation of welfare did completely shattered the black economy in the 1930s the 1940s when you would think that black people would be doing worse than white people 
black people had a lower unemployment rate than white people did. Black people had an unemployment rate of around 3.5%. White people were right at 6%. Black people were more hireable than white people were. Black people then were, were projected to make up about a third of the country's population had things continued to go the way that they were going. The average black family in the 50s even though things in the 50s were, you know, the, the inflation costs thanks to the Great Depression were much higher, the average black family in the 50s was in the middle class. Versus today, where the average black family is a single parent family, 95% of black families right now are single parent and on welfare. Section. Hello America and welcome to the story of America and I'm following the theme this month uh, February Black History Month all all month long okay and I'm a couple of weeks behind and and uploading some of these videos uh, well not videos but audio for the podcast that I was supposed to have done uh, weeks ago and I've got I got five episodes recorded that's just waiting for me to upload them and I just haven't done it so I'm gonna be you know you're gonna see a bunch of episodes come up pretty soon so in order to save me a lot of time writing you know an episode a day and I can I can very well do that all the research that's required to write an episode I can write an episode a day no problem but in order to save me some time so what I have here is I've got a filing cabinet full of writings that I've written from years ago all on things that affect black America and since this is Black History Month to save me some time I'm going to go over all of those things that way I can write other episodes and be ready for for uh, for April and March and the rest of the year and just continue to continue going on with the story so this episode is not going to be one of my scripted episodes. Not one. Not going to be one of my story episodes. And you, you can probably tell that by the structure of how we start off here. Because normally I start off and we go in there, we have a really elaborate story, and we go down through the whole thing, and we're very motivational, trying to get people to understand, listen to things. But this one's going to be a heart to heart with Black America, and we're going to talk about at. Uh, good length. I, I, you know, I don't even think this was going to be too long an episode. The last couple episodes haven't been too long because uh, I have been so tired from work that I recorded an episode. It was an hour, forty-five minutes, almost two hours long, all on intergenerational wealth within the black community and what I like to call the intergenerational reset in the black community. And we're going to talk about that a lot. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm going to name this episode the intergenerational poverty in black America or should I say the intergenerational reset I'll figure out what I want to name the episode but it's going to be one of those two intergenerational poverty in black America or intergenerational reset of black America and as we continue to do this episode you'll you'll understand why but I've got you know 
I've got three, four episodes that are already lined up. I've got the myth of happiness. I've got intergenerational wealth. I've got how to be successful, how to be encouraged. I've got multiple different investing tips uh, to help you make a lot of money over the over the next course of a couple of years here. And so what I'm doing for on today's episode is I'm just sitting, taking a little time off from writing so much. Because each one of these episodes that I write is about 10 pages, you know, give or take 10 pages, sometimes 7 pages, and, you know, might go a little bit higher than that on some episodes. So, when you're writing as much as I write, and I, and you know, this is the reason why I hate Twitter so much. I, you know, I, cre- I created a Twitter account maybe 12 years ago, and I have one post on it that I posted 12 years ago. And I don't use Twitter because they tell me I can only type, what, 270 characters? I think at the time that I created Twitter, it was like 120 characters, 180 characters. And, you know, I'm from the South. We have a long draw in the way that we speak. And in the way that I type, because I, you know, I'm class- classically trained in literature and figurative and creative writing... So the way that I talk and the way that I write, 270 characters isn't enough for me to write a fucking sentence. And I'm and because of that bleep, I gotta you know I gotta label this episode as explicit, so I might you know lose a little monetation. Yeah, I, I might just go back and cut the word out, damn. But I I can't write a sentence in 270 characters. It's not possible. You know, a sentence from a sentence to me requires full punctuation. It requires words written out all the way. It needs to be grammatically correct. I don't like using abbreviations unless I absolutely have to. And really, there's no point in using abbreviations ever, unless you know, unless you have to write a research paper and you've got to be within 500 words, and or a certain length, or a certain length of pages, and then, you know, and to try to crop out some of those lengths, you, you know, you take do not and then contract it to don't. I don't like contractions either. I prefer, you know, I might say, I'll speak contractions, but when I write, I won't necessarily use contractions in my writing. So, you know, I don't know where I was going with this point. I don't, I don't particularly like to use Twitter. I've never used it. I created one, created an account. I have an account. I don't use it. I don't know how to use it. I don't even know the password to get into it. Um, Google remembered it from 12 years ago when I created the account. So the only way I can get into my Twitter account is through my Gmail or is to go through my Google Chrome, which I don't use anymore because Google Chrome, you know, Google has shown itself not to be too friendly to people like me so I decided to stop using their product best I can of course when I search for stuff on my phone because my phone is Android you know Google's all through the damn thing and since my email is still Google I'm still using Google in some form but I'm not using their search engine anymore I'm using the Bing search engine which honestly sucks I wish I, I wish I would go back to Google but if I went back to Google I'd be breaking my own my own vow so I use the Bing search engine now but let's get let's get started with this episode. I, I don't want to uh, talk too much about crap that doesn't matter. So 
intergenerational wealth we talked about this in the last episode if you're watching my episodes or listening to my episodes in sequential order then the last episode would have been titled intergenerational wealth within the black community or really you could say intergenerational wealth within lower income communities or how to accumulate intergenerational wealth talked a great deal about that and uh, all the different things and that one was a very in-depth episode really good episode and as soon as it's uploaded you'll be able to to watch it and listen to it and learn a little bit of things about what you can do today that can set your family up for a future to where you will never have to start from from uh from the goal uh, starting post anymore you'll always start where the last person left off you know if you're a religious person like me the, the Bible says that you are to leave an inheritance for your grandchildren. Intergenerational wealth is that. But what we have in the black community, and really this is in low income communities altogether. But I don't talk to white people. I, I mean I have white friends, my best friend's white. But when I say I don't talk to white people, I mean I don't talk to white people in my writings. I talk to black people in my writings. Because... I live in a black community. There's the pe- they're the people that I care about the most. As far as the community, I don't too much care about the individual people. I mean, I can I can give I can give two shits about the individual people, but I care about the community because the community affects me, and it affects the the uh, the perception of me. It affects how much money I can make, and it affects how far I can advance. If my community is doing better, I'm doing better. If my community has a higher uh, net value, has a higher marketability, then that means that the house that I that I intend to purchase will be worth a lot more money because the community that I live in is worth a lot more money. So it affects me. That's why I care so much about it. I don't too much, like I said, I don't too much care about what people do in their personal lives. That's not my concern. My concern is the community and the perception of black people in America as a whole. I could care less about whether or not little Johnny down the streets, you know, smoking cocaine or something like that. That's not my goal. My goal is not to try to change that. The people that should be changing that are the boy's parents and the people that live closest to them. My goal and my desire is to change the entire concept of the community as a whole so that we don't have to worry about uh, future little Johnnies ever again because the the community has been fully realized through intergenerational wealth and intergenerational success. So intergenerational poverty or the great reset button of black America or lower income communities if you want to take race out of it it's it's the idea you know we talked about philanthropy in the last time well this idea of the reset is the it it is the complete reverse of philanthropy it's the idea of well this is what I had to do had to go through to get there so this is what you're gonna have to go through to get there you know I'm I'll use this as an example so within my family really fucked up family they <laughs> and they'll probably mo- moan and gripe at me when they re- when they listen to this episode and realize that I've been talking about them. But the fact of the matter is, is, is so within my family, we got a Tuskegee Airman uh, that lived in the family bloodline. So my uncle Eldridge Levy Sr. So he dies. Uh, I think it was 2012. 
And so he's got a really nice house. Really nice house. Good house. It's right up the road uh, from where I grew up. You know, we all lived on the same street in the middle of the woods. And it's a really nice house. He's got really nice stuff in that house. But rather than giving the house to one of the young folks that was coming up, because at the time, 2012, at the time of, uh, of Uncle Levy's death, um, at that time, my cousins would have been graduating high school. So at that time of his death, they would have been graduating high school, ripe time for them to have a house, to, you know, to have a place of their own. Well, the place uh, that my Uncle Levy lived at, it was right up the road. It was, the house was fully paid for. You know, he had been living in it for a long, long time, longer than I've been alive. That's how long the house has been there. Longer than I've been alive. I don't know when it was built. That's how long it's been there. So it's fully paid for. It's a really nice house. Got a nice fireplace, got a big backyard, got, you know, some pretty nice sized bedrooms. And he had really good furniture in there. And so rather than giving the house to the, to the next generation to start them off, because, you know, here, here, these are the facts. The average homeowner in America, regardless of whether you own a rinky-dink house or a multi-million dollar house, the average homeowner, that's the, if you take all of the shit together and you compress it down and you get the number, the mean, the average number for the average house house owner homeowner in America is worth about two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars so if you start your kids off by giving them a house right out of high school because they had the opportunity to do that because mr. Levy he died so you got a house to give your kids but rather than giving the house to your kids this is what they did the, the the white druggies down the road that moved in, uh, we didn't have a we didn't have a drug problem in our neighborhood. But until these white people moved down there, now this isn't to say that white people are drug heads, but these white folks moved down there. You know, they're the only white people that live in the community because it's the entire street is just family. But they come down here and they, you know, they strip all of the copper out of the house, and they go and sell the copper. So the house. They completely stripped it of anything that can run electricity. All the copper's gone. So, instead of boarding off the house and, you know, refurbishing it and giving it to one of the kids, so what, what does family do when they find out the house has been robbed by these crackheads? Family decides to go down there and rob the house before the robbers can rob the house. So, what, are they, what, is, what do I mean by that? So, I have a very big pet peeve of buying stuff that you don't use see I I don't own a lot of stuff but I would consider myself to be a hoarder because I don't throw too much away but everything that I own I use every book on my bookshelf even though it's been a long time since I've read one of them because I've been buying new books every single book on my bookshelf I have read or I go back to, especially my encyclopedias and my dictionaries, I go back to, to read over. And if I don't read it, I donate it to the church. Everything that I have, I, 
everything that I own, I use to some capacity. So I'm talking about people that are going into this little old home and they're absolutely looting it and ransacking it. Hell, my grandmother, she went in there, she took the fans, the ceiling fans, the house had three ceiling fans, and she took all three of the ceiling fans out of the house, took them down off, off, the, off the roof, and took them home. Now those ceiling fans are sitting down at, at my grandmother's house in the attic or they're sitting in the guest room just sitting there on the floor. You know, he died like 12 years ago. Well, not 12 years ago. He died in 2012. So he died, a, you know, what, seven years ago? A little, you know, some time ago. And those ceiling fans, which were just looted and taken out of the house, are still just sitting there unused. The, the family wasn't there. They took the toilet. They took the sinks. They took the refrigerator. They took everything and they don't use any of it. And I mean none of it. So the house, which was a really good house, if you go inside the house right now, the, the, the house has no doors on it. The back door is left wide open. All of the, you know, there's animals that probably ran up in there. It's been, you know, plants have grown over it. Nobody's gone over there to, to you know, to trim the hedges and keep the place looking in nice order. So even if you could flip the house and make a profit and sell the house, the amount of work that you would have to do as a real estate mogul to try to flip this house is ridiculous. So my case in point is, it's number, number one in intergenerational poverty is this right here, leaving nothing behind for our children. In the black community, we have that as a big problem. Number one, we don't have life insurance policies. We we don't believe in getting the life insurance policy for some reason. Uh, you know, we'll get a few. We'll get a funeral policy, or we'll wait until, you know, you're up in age, and then somebody in the family will take a life policy out on you. But the policy that they wind up getting is only worth about ten thousand because they're only getting burial insurance. You know, when. So when you die, you still have to wind up paying the funeral company to bury your dumbass. Because family that's decided that it's not important enough to have that type of insurance and stuff set, set aside and set up to take care of you. When in reality, the concept behind life insurance, and I would know, I was a life insurance salesman for a little while. The concept behind life insurance has always been about income protection. It's always been about ensuring that if something happened to you, the people that you loved will be taken care of for a long time to come. So, what do I mean by that? So right now, very few black people have life insurance policies. Very few young black people particularly have life insurance policies. You'll wait until you get old to, to try to go get a policy. When, if you bought a policy while you're in your 20s per se, you can get a $500,000 policy in your 20s for $17. To get a $500,000 policy at 65 when you're getting ready to croak, it's, it's going to cost you about $500 a month. 
difference is a difference in priority. Rather than setting aside and setting up something for the future, we're only focused on self. And that's the problem with causing intergenerational poverty and constantly resetting our population. We're not leaving a foundation that can be built upon. We're tearing down the foundation that we built when we die. We're tearing it down and forcing our kids to have to rebuild it all over again. Instead of leaving down, instead of leaving a foundation and having them expand upon it, we're taking the blueprints and we're shredding it and ripping it up and burning it. So, on on my next issue with this would be the idea. I, I want. I'm gonna see how. To, what's the best way to phrase this? I'll say I'll, I'll put I'll say it this way. The idea, or or I uh, or vision that there's only one or two ways for a black person to escape poverty: sports and the military. Three if you believe that drugs is the way to do it. These things are completely asinine. As I said in the last couple episodes, limiting the vision and limiting the goals of young people, particularly young black men, limiting what they can accomplish by putting them in a bubble based off of what your stereotypical belief of what black people should and should not be able to accomplish is hindering the ability of the community as a whole to advance and compete with the other ethnicities that live within the country. The Asian population doesn't have this problem because the Asian population promotes an increase in lifestyle. So I'll use this as an example. The Asian community comes into America with less money than the average black person when they were freed from slavery. The, the average Jewish person came into this country during, 19, during the 1940s during the Holocaust. They came into the country, they had nothing, they were discriminated against and kept from having anything because of the perceptions of Jews for a long, long time. But they continue and they persisted they went and pursued education and now black people are very upset with Jewish people because Jewish people have money and black people generally speaking do not and they're blaming that on a racial game when it's solely based off of the work and the amount of effort that the Jewish people and the Asian people decided to do in order to accomplish what they wanted for themselves and for their families so why is it then that we black people do not have the same goals you know I hate listening to the radio in the mornings because that retard Charlemagne the God has a, has a radio show and he's he is always talking about white people on his show and I'm sitting here sometimes and I'll listen to it because sometimes I'll be riding in the car and I'll listen to it and, I'll, and I'm sitting there listening to him here you are a black man, a millionaire, 
who has a radio show, who can influence the, the, the mindsets of millions of black people across the country. And you're only talking about how much you hate white people. When you could take the millions of dollars that you have, the millions of people that you reach every day, and teach them how to create business, teach them how to become entrepreneurs, and if they can't be an entrepreneur, teach them how to advance in a career. Teach them about ways to set up for the future so that they never go broke. There are ways right now today Regardless of the, of the amount of money that you have, that you can invest in anything, and when time comes for you to pull the money out, you will never be able to go broke regardless of what happens to the market if you were able to do it right. And people like Charlemagne the God, people like Oprah Winfrey, people like, uh, like Robert Johnson, they have the resources, the income, and the know-how to give this information to black people, but they don't. You have these massive networks. Oprah Winfrey has an entire TV network. And on her network, she never talks about how to build intergenerational wealth within our community. You know, I like Oprah. But Oprah Winfrey giving, a, giving you a car isn't helping you. It's helping you in the short term because a car is a short term goal. If you don't know how to take care of it, you'll wind up blowing it in about a week, two weeks. But what Oprah Winfrey is neglecting to give is the network of information that she has that can set you up on a life that is far greater than anything that you have. You may not be able to get the car, you may not be able to go to college, but the information that she will give you will set you up onto a path to where you can never be broke. You can never be poor. Because you don't get to be worth $4.4 billion like Oprah and not know how to manage and keep money. There are people, for instance, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was a multi-billionaire. He was a great talent. But Michael Jackson had a child's mentality when it came to spending money. So, regard, so despite being multi-billionaire, Michael did not know how to keep and manage money. Oprah's completely, it's completely the opposite. She knows how to keep and manage money. And this is this is why I said in the last episode there's a difference between being wealthy and being rich. Okay? Wealthy people. Here's the major difference. Wealthy people have money and time and don't have to worry about making money. Okay? Rich people only have time to make money. It's very important that you understand the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Wealthy people may not have the same amount of money as somebody that's rich, but a rich person will never have the amount of leisure time that a wealthy person has. Because a rich person always has to worry about where their next dollar is coming from. A wealthy person never has to because they will never run out of money. That's the difference between being wealthy and being rich. It's time. And what you can do with that time. Here in our communities, we're constantly resetting the bar for our generations. And the generations that are coming up after us. 
what I mean by that is is rather than passing along this information we're dying with it we're not leaving behind anything meaningful for our generations to do better and we're constantly throwing more welfare at the problem and here's the here's the real here's the real sad truth generations upon generations upon generations of slavery and Jim Crow laws the most racist times of American history of segregation did not destroy the black family it did not destroy the black economy but one generation of welfare did completely shattered the black economy in the 1930s the 1940s when you would think that black people would be doing worse than white people black people had a lower unemployment rate than white people did black people had an unemployment rate of around 3.5 percent white people were right at six percent black people were more hireable than white people were black people then were were projected to make up about a third of the country's population had things continued to go the way that they were going the average black family in the 50s even though things in the 50s were you know and the inflation costs thanks to the Great Depression were much higher the average black family in the 50s was in the middle class versus today where the average black family is a single parent family 95% of black families right now are single parent and on welfare section